cherished in God's eyes. Anybody here feel cherished? We all know what it means to feel cherished, right? Feel special. But the lesson today focuses on how we are cherished in God's eyes. You know, we may feel good being cherished in the eyes of somebody else, but to be cherished, huh? Uh, well, it's up to us to determine whether we believe it or not. I think sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't. Question, what have you owned that's gone up in value? Everything. Everything, all right. <laughs> Everything has gone up in value. Okay. People who have uh, stocks and bonds often watch the stock market to see how it's going to determine whether what they have goes up in value or not. Anybody else? What? Land, okay, land values. You know, people are excited when land values go up. Uh, and they buy a piece of land and hope that um, it can be an investment. Some of the suggestions include, as mentioned, real estate. Uh, some include, uh, there are people who collect, who are collectors. You know, they collect all kinds of things. And then after a period of time, those collectible items become valuable. Some of our baseball cards and rare toys and jewelry and vintage furniture and all that sort of stuff. All those things uh, people collect and if they keep them long enough, they will go up in value. Okay, let's look at the Bible meets life on page 62. Someone read that please. Most Valuable at some time or another, and they're not going to throw it away. I just found a penny, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'll just um, the devil, Wow, I've seen one of those in ages. Yeah, I know a fellow who never threw anything away, he kept everything. And uh, there were times when he needed something, he said, Boy, I know you got one of these, but I, I ain't got time to look for that. So you go and buy another one. <laughs> But um, people don't like to throw anything away. Um, notice the point. 
at the top of page 62. God values and cares for even the weakest among us. Now that's not how some people think, right? Uh, many people don't value the weaker. They discard the weaker. They despise the weaker. But the, but the Bible reminds us that God values and cares for even the weakest among us. And so as we go through this lesson, let's, let's pray silently in our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to grant each of us the clarity and wisdom to work together to engage in difficult and potentially painful situations on this subject. And I'm sure the Lord will respond to our, our petitions. Okay, let's look at the first passage on page 63. Uh, Psalm chapter 8, uh, the first two verses. Someone read those, please. Okay, now notice that word stronghold. See the definition of that? The Hebrew term gives the meaning of power and strength in this context of God's overcoming and silencing his enemies. See, we don't have to do anything to silence our enemies. We don't have to do anything to overcome our enemies. God is responsible for doing that, and he'll do it if we let him. And that's why he's called our stronghold. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 64. Do you remember the first time you saw a mountain rising majestically from the horizon? Well, the first time you stood on the beach and saw nothing but ocean expanding before you. Experiences like that arrest our attention. They make us want to shout with David in verse 1, Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. That's because the greatness of creation reflects the greatness of the Creator. God is magnificent and His magnificence is not hidden. The planet we live on shouts this truth in a million wondrous ways. David wrote of one who created all we see and sustains it by His will, by His majestic power. But notice, you have covered the heavens with your majesty, verse 1. The more we learn about the universe, the more we realize how it, how it shouts of God's glory. Our Milky Way galaxy has hundreds of billions of stars, and scientists now consider it to be one of the smallest systems in the whole universe. The minuscule things in our universe also point to him. Your DNA is made up of four chemicals abbreviated by the letters A, T, G, and C. These chemical letters are arranged in each human cell. Something like this. G, T, A, T, T, G, A, C, T, G, A, Z. All right? Each cell in your body knows what to do because of the order of these chemicals. Oh, that the code 
and that code happens to be three billion letters long in each cell. Three billion letters long in each cell. The presence of something that massive and detailed in something so small shouts of God's majesty. Only God could do that. In his psalm, David mentioned children and nursing infants, verse 2. Though small and often dismissed by others as being of little value, they point to God's glory. We might think of them as the weakest in all humanity, but their weakness in human eyes diminishes their strength. Neither diminishes their strength nor their great value, their great worth in God's, God's view. When the tiniest infant, incapable of coherent speech, is a stronghold who speaks mightily of God to silence the enemy and the avenger. Verse 2. Unfortunately, these are also the people among us that are the most easily dismissed in abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia are attacks on God's glory and creation. So we notice in the verse, in that third paragraph, it speaks about God's glory. And it just blows our mind when it talks about this DNA. Doesn't that blow your mind? And, 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 and these billions of letters long, and all that's in our little bodies. All that's in our little bodies. Look at, look at um, question number two on page 64. How do these verses speak of the sanctity of human life? How do these verses, or how do you think these verses speak of the sanctity of human life? Valuable. Beyond value. You can't put a value on it. Okay, when we look at what this, word, what, this, this, what this passage just described, you really can't put a value on it. It's priceless. God made it. Few scientific examples of God's majesty is revealed through his creation. And we see it all the time. If we look at verse 1, one of the things we notice is David wrote this, this is actually a song of praise that David wrote. But as David wrote this song of praise, he began by making sure the singers who would sing this song would have no doubt about the object that they were praising. No doubt in their minds whatsoever. Yahweh is the name God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 16. And this is God's covenant name. And it implies that, it implies God's eternal nature. When we hear that name Yahweh, we ought to immediately think about God in his eternal aspect, his eternal nature. David also referred to Yahweh as Lord. This title emphasizes the power and authority of, that God points to his rule as king above all kings. So when we think of Yahweh, we ought to think of him not only in his, of his eternal nature, but we also think of him as the powerful God, the great king, of, king of all kings. And so to describe God's name as magnificent is to affirm God himself as being magnificent. 
And that's how we ought to describe him. That's how we ought to see him. He is the Magnificent One. Remember that movie some years ago with the Magnificent Seven? Well, there ain't nothing compared to God. Okay? Here, name is not simply a reference to Yahweh, but points to his total being and character. God is magnificent or glorious because of who he is and what he has done. One way the magnificence of God is revealed is through his creation of the earth. And when we look at creation itself, you cannot help but think about the magnificence of God. Because there are some things in creation that man still can't explain, still can't fathom, still can't figure out. God's majesty is further revealed in the heavens. What people see as they look up from the earth, wherever people look, they see the majesty and glory of God the Creator. And so the Apostle Paul affirmed the same truth when he wrote that God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly revealed through what he has made in Romans chapter 1. Remember Romans chapter 1? It talks about the creation of God, the cre God's creation, things that God has done. Psalm 19 is a That's another one, Psalm 19. speaks of the creative power and majesty of God. But then we look at verse 2. Through God's clear revelation of His glory, even though God's clear revelation of His glory is evident through His creation, most people have chosen to reject the reality of God's existence and glory. The atheist says there is no God. They totally reject all that God has done, all of God's creative work and His majesty. Because they rejected God's revelation, they did not glory. This is in Romans 1 again. Because they rejected God's revelation, the verse says, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. That's Romans 121. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. And of course, if a person doesn't see God as who he is, they would not have gratitude for what he's done. Once they once they, they chose to refuse the truth, God has revealed through his creation. They become, in David's words, God's adversaries or God's enemies. David also recognized that these people were not only opposed to God, but also to those who trust and worship God. Okay, so not only are they opposed to God, but they opposed to us who trust God, worship Him, and serve Him. You know, comprehend the chains of words and mm -hmm. the things that you see in 55 verse 8. That, um, my Which passage? That my thoughts are not your voices. Mm -hmm. totally That's right. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Okay, that tells us how far above us in terms of this. His character and thinking God is above us. In other words, you can't figure God out. So don't try. A lot of people try to figure God out, but they can't. Because He can't be figured out. And He Himself said it. My ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your words. In other words, don't try to figure me out. Don't try to think about what I'm thinking. You can't do it. Okay? 
And so David recognized this. And David called these people the enemies or the avengers uh, of God in the passage. David uh, and the nation of Israel often had to fight against such people. Over and over they fought against individuals who did not acknowledge God or, or, or respect God. As Christians, with the revelation of God, and the revelation God has provided to us in the New Testament scriptures, we understand who Satan is. We understand that he's an old dragon, an old serpent, an old devil, and that he's God's arch enemy. And uh, we also recognize that he is the ultimate source of opposition against God and us. Alright, so what has God done to silence such opposition and to provide relief for his faithful ones? He has established, the verse says, he established a stronghold. He set up a stronghold. And we saw the meaning of that phrase, stronghold. Meaning power and strength in the context of God overcoming and silencing his enemies. Jeremiah also used the same word to refer to God as Lord of my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in times of distress, as Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. How has God done this? The answer may seem strange or strange to our Western minds or those of us who live in this part of the world. When we seek help, we tend to look for the strongest, the richest, the smartest, the most powerful one to deliver us, right? Don't we? You don't go looking to no weak voice to help you when you're in trouble, do we? No. We look for the strongest, the richest, the smartest, and the most powerful. God does just the opposite. He uses the ones we consider the weakest, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. David said that God uses the mouths of children and nursing infants. And we often hear people, when they see something amazing happen, they, they would often use that phrase, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. We hear it a lot, don't we? Yeah. When children do something that is unexpected, but that is profound, we often hear that statement. And David uses that phrase, how can such powerless persons provide strength and security? From David's point of view, young children represented more evidence of God's glory as creator and Lord. Okay, so when you look at the young children and what they do, they represent more of God's tremendous magnificence of creation than anything else. So don't, don't, don't dismiss them. Right? Don't cast them aside. Pay attention to them. Okay? Because sometimes they can teach us some things that we never even thought of. Okay? So don't dismiss them. God doesn't dismiss them. So we shouldn't either. And so the sounds of small children can remind anyone of the reality of God's limitless power and His love. Who else could create such beautiful, amazing creatures? God created them to impact our minds and our hearts. Okay, let's look at the, uh, someone read the paragraph on page 64. Yeah. 64 and 65. I read that? Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I read it already. Uh, 60... 
I didn't read 65, right? Okay. Okay, someone read 65 then. Around the world, more than 40 million abortions occur annually. That means that while you are in your Bible study, more than 5,000 unborn babies will die. God can do great things through those people in the world called those people the world calls weak, helpless, or unnecessary. Indeed, God has chosen the weak things of the world to defeat the mighty, since the unborn, the weak, and the helpless are a part of his creation. He has made them for his glory too. Okay. Notice on page 65, God can do great things to those people the world calls weak, helpless, and unnecessary. Indeed, God has chosen the weak things of the world to defeat the mighty. 1 Corinthians 1.27 Since unborn, since the unborn, the weak and the helpless are part of his creation, he has made them his glory too. See that? Question number three. How is God's majesty revealed through the youngest and weakest? And we think they don't pay attention. You know, they pay attention. They are observant, more observant than we are sometimes. How else do we see God's majesty revealed in the youngest and the weak? Apart from them astounding us by some of the things they say. Any other examples that we seen recently? Okay. 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 Prayer is one of our most important weapons in the fight against abortion. And this is the exercise, uh, the activity on page 65. Choose two of the following categories to record people or circumstances you will pray for this week. See that on page 65? Leaders and lawmakers, boy, they need bread, don't they? Well, I, I huh? usually don't listen to the debates, but I did listen last night. <laughs> and almost all of the Republican, uh, well, all of them that spoke against abortion, were, I mean, about abortion, were against it. Okay. And uh, I like that. Uh, because it's it's a bane in America. It is a bane. Now let's hope they're all against it even after they get elected. Yeah. Because sometimes they do that just to get in. Right. And when they, when they get in, then they say, oh, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't know all the details or I didn't know all the ramifications or, or this, that, or the next. 
Okay, so we definitely need proof of the lawmakers. I don't remember which one it was, but one of them says, except for rape pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't think that was right. Mm -hmm. I think you should not have abortions for anything. Anything, right. Because right. all life, mm -hmm. all life is special into our and then we have uh, pregnant mothers, uh, certain fathers, companies, and organizations. So it says choose two of the following categories to record people of, or circumstances you will pray for this week. So you can choose from that list who you're going to pray for this week. Uh, well, I think it's a noble thing that uh, Rhonda Darnell is doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Definitely. Um, and I, I think we should really pray for uh, her and her husband as they, you know, endeavor to get this really going. Yeah, in yeah. This it's needed in this country because yeah. well, we, a lot of us don't know of all the stuff that goes on. There are a lot of illegal abortions going on in this country, but we don't know about it. You know, there are people who are doing that, and we don't know about it. I mean, there are government officials who know about it, but they're not making it known to the public. But a lot of murders are going on in terms of abortions in this country. Okay, let's look at the next passage. Uh, Psalm 8, uh, verses 3 to 8. Someone read verses 3 to 8, please. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? And how far? You made him little less than God, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea, that pass through the currents of the seas. Okay, notice verse 3. When I observe your heavens, and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, as David continues to reflect, on how God's glory is revealed in his creation, he thought about the moon and the stars. We don't think often about the moon and the stars when we think about God's creation. David imagined God as a great galactic artist who fashioned these heavenly bodies and then set them in place for us to see each night. Notice we use the phrase, the work of your fingers, which you set in place. Of course, with our technology, we can see more than the vastness more of the vastest of the universe than David ever could. Okay, we get these powerful telescopes. The, what is the, the Hubble Space Telescope is doing more than, than they imagined that it would do. You know, and it's gone longer than they expected it to go. And it's revealing some of the intricacies and the, the beauty and the tremendous vastness of the universe and the galaxies that we could never even imagine. And so technology is allowing us to see far more than what David could see. But David expresses here what he was capable of seeing. Our knowledge only amplifies the glory which David pointed out. And then he says in verse 4, What is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him? And so as David thought about the vastness of the night sky, he considered the contrast with with human beings so, who seem so small, so insignificant, who seem to be nothing, 
compared to the vastness of God's universe. He specifically chose a word for man that reflects humanity's weakness and dependence on God's provision and protection. Though human beings seem small and insignificant in the greatness of God's creation, yet God still takes notice of each person and provides for his or her needs. And we see that in Matthew chapter 6. Okay, no one is so insignificant that God says, oh, I don't need to pay no attention to them, or oh, I don't need to provide for them. Everyone is special to God. Every single soul on earth is significant to God. And so the phrase, the Son of Man, is used in common is used in common Hebrew parallelism. Instead of using man again in the second line, David found another way to say the same thing. What is man? Thou art mindful of him. And then when we look at verse 5, not only does God remember to look after people, he has created human beings so as to give them special status over all the rest of his creation. He uses the phrase, a little less than God. Notice that phrase? Or a little lower than... The phrase, less than God, could also be translated as less than the angels. Another translation puts it that way. When the writer of the book of Hebrews quoted this passage from the Greek version of the Old Testament, he used lower than the angels. And we're familiar with that phrase, right? He made us a little lower than the angels. That's how the Greek translation reads. The key word is the Hebrew Elohim. This word is used, this word was often used for God in the Hebrew version of the Old Testament. But it could also simply mean heavenly beings or angels. Regardless of the translation, the primary meaning is the same in their position and authority. God made human beings lower than God and the angels but higher than the rest of all creation. So that's how special we are to God. Remember when God made Adam and, Adam and Eve, he says, you all, you know, take control of all creation. Rule over it. David went on to describe man's position that of the glory and honor. In comparison to God, man is only a reflection of God's perfect glory. Okay, let's have somebody read the passages on page pages 66 and 67. Well, we have question number four first. What does question number four say? How does this passage empower us to make us to make a difference in the world? That's the passage we just read. When we look at that passage we just read, how does it empower us to make a difference in the world. What do we, how do we feel when we read a passage like that? And what kind of a difference can we make? Anybody? We realize how much God loves us. Okay, we realize how much God loves us. And then, please. Give me a to love you. It challenges us significantly. All right. And realize who you are. Okay, let's read that passage on page uh, 66 and 67. I'll read 66. Psalm 8, 3 to 8. The 
after establishing the magnificence of God's glory, David contrasted that with the relative insignificance of humanity. Yet God bestows honor and dignity on each person he creates. Since God is so majestic, what is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? David may have felt small and insignificant as he observed the universe, but David knew he was not insignificant at all in God's eyes. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. We are not equal with God or the angels, but neither are we simply on the same level of animals. Indeed, God crowned humans with glory and honor. In our position over animals and the works of your hands, all that God has made, we have been given dominion. God said in creation, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock of all earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. God has crowned us with his glory, and we are to display that glory as we rule the earth. Okay, now notice that the, um, uh, some points that, uh, that we have on page 66. Uh, the first one is, after establishing the magnificence of God's glory, David contrasted that to the relative significance of humanity. That's point number one. And then, number two, we are not equal with God or the angels, but neither are we simply on the same level with animals. Indeed, he crowned humans with glory and honor. And then the third point, in our position over animals and the works of your hands, verse 6, all that God has made, we have been given dominion. Okay, so God has given us dominion over the works of his hands or the work of creation. Now notice David's message in Psalm 8 contains a lot of connections to the book of Genesis. And so he's reflecting a lot on what God said earlier in the, in, the, in the creation stage of humanity. For example, David knew that in the Genesis account of creation, God told man and woman not only to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, but also, also to subdue and rule over all that he had created. As in verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. And then there uh, you made him Lord over all the works of your hands. Of course, the man and the woman sinned and corrupted God's perfect world. Though God changed the way he related to human beings because of their sin, he did not change his command for people to have authority over all living creatures. And even, in other words, even though God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he didn't change the original position that he put them in to rule and have dominion over the earth. In other words, he didn't demote them, okay, because of their sin. You notice in a, in a, in a society, whenever someone does something bad, they get demoted, right? They either get two things, they get fired or they get demoted, okay? Well, God fired Adam, but he didn't demote him. Okay, he still had the authority over all creatures and creation. Everything was still under his feet, under his rule and authority. God still allowed humanity to function as his stewards over creation. So God didn't fire him, he demoted him. Even as God confronted the man and the woman who had sinned against him, he also looked 
forward to the day when the corrupted world order will be redeemed. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. Here, his view was more than mere hope. That day would mark the completion of his eternal plan. And we see that in Ephesians. Okay, let's look at uh, passages on page 67. To see some real life examples of the difference we can make when we place our proper emphasis on the sanctity of life. Does an emphasis on the sanctity of human life really matter? Yes. I've seen the difference we can make when we value people's people as God does. One, a pregnant single woman decided to have an abortion. A neighbor had, no other, no, had another idea. If the woman would not abort, the neighbor would help raise a child and provide for both of them. She kept her promise. As a result of receiving that help, the woman gave birth, raised multiple children, and brought them to church every Sunday. I am their pastor, and I have personally seen these children confess their faith in Jesus Christ. What would happen if they were aborted? Right, you see that? Number two. A woman found herself pregnant, unmarried, and scared. Her boyfriend wanted her to have an abortion. She was upset and decided to attend church. She had no way of knowing that morning was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. After hearing the message that day, she chose not to have an abortion. Instead, she put a baby up for adoption. I had the privilege of holding this child who was adopted by a young pastor and his wife. Amazing. Many women carry the guilt of past abortion. Statistics tell us that one out of three women will have an abortion by age 45. So even as we, so even as we hold high the sanctity of all life, we must also proclaim the grace of God that is greater than all our sin. God's grace extends to those who have encouraged or participated in abortion. For he deeply loves and values them as well. There's hope and life for all of us in Christ. He created all of us to display his glory. Question number five. As a group, how can we demonstrate that we value life the way God does? I think one way that Sister Marguerite mentioned was what Sister Rwanda and her husband is doing. And so one way we can do answer this question is to support them and their efforts and what they're doing. Okay, our time is gone, so let's look at the Live It Out on page 66, 68. How can we apply this? How can we appropriate what we have learned here today? What will you do when you are, when your belief in the value of human life? What will you do to show your your belief in the value of human life? Consider the following options this week. Memorize. That's the first one. Commit Psalm eight, three to four to memory in the days to come. Share this verse with others and tell them how much God values them as his creation, especially those people who feel as if they don't, they don't mean nothing to nobody. 
or they have no value. Those are the people that you want to target and share this with. And number two, give. There are many organizations that help mothers avoid an abortion by providing needed resources, financial, practical, emotional, and so on. Consider giving your resources to advance the cause of these organizations in your community. And again, remember Rwanda and our organization that just started. That's a good, that's a good one right there that we can support. I'm sure many of us did the, the, the baby bottle thing. We'll continue to support. We have one in our local community that can do that. Okay, so that's two things we can do. Okay, we can memorize and share with somebody who doesn't feel valued, and then we can help Rwanda and organization by giving to them and supporting them. Number three, get involved. Make a list of practical ways you can be a light in your community regarding the sanctity of life. Work with your Bible study group or class and carry out those ideas. Okay, so there's three things we can do to apply the lesson that we've learned here today. And so it's up to us. God is going to hold us accountable for everything that we've been exposed to, everything we've learned. So we are now accountable because God has presented it to us. And then finally, aluminum is rarely valuable. Gold is often valuable, but human beings are always priceless. Praise God that he values and cares for even the weakest among us. And that's something we should praise God for every single day that God allows us to be on planet Earth. Amen? Yes.